man. He is superior. He is mighty. He is greater than all things. You know, last week we started the book of Hebrews, and that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be in the first chapter and the second, so if you want to just go ahead and turn there and be ready, that would be great. Last week we talked about potential authors for the book of Hebrews. We talked about possible audiences for the book of Hebrews. We talked about the time of its writing. In fact, I mentioned to you that the book of Hebrews was written while the... uh, While the temple was still standing, and I also said that it was written about 86 AD, and and I was corrected by a couple people this week that said, you know, if it was really written in 86, then the temple wasn't standing because the temple was destroyed in 70. All right, I heard a yep. So for all of you who are studying along with me, that's great. Just realize I'm feeling that pressure a little bit on Sunday mornings, um, I mean, I don't want to get up here and be a heretic, okay? Um, so if there's something that, that you notice that you're just like, whoa, that is, it's not just even a disagreement of, of maybe some interpretation, but it's a, that was absolutely wrong. Send me a text message, call me, say, hey, you know, actually the temple was destroyed in 70, so what you said was wrong. Okay, enough of that. I was wrong. Um, keep up the study. Keep up the research. You know, I got another text message about something in in chapter 2 from somebody that that God's teaching them, and it was really good. Uh, Turn to Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. I'm going to start right at the beginning again. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. What an amazing beginning of a sermon, of a, of a book of the Bible, and to the truth about who Jesus is, the exact representation of God's being. He is creator, he is sustainer, and he is savior. Jesus is greater. Greater than the angels, the preacher tells us in the remaining verses of chapter one, and of, a cor- and of course, He would be, right? The angels were created beings. When we die, we don't become an angel. There's a set number of angels already. God created them in the beginning. They are created beings. Uh, Then we are encouraged in chapter 1 to stay, actually the beginning of chapter 2, to stay faithful to God's word, to God's revelations, which keep us from drifting away from God. He spoke through the prophets and through the apostles. He spoke through Paul and Peter and the writer of Hebrews. The inspired word of God is the authority over us. He spoke through angels. Uh, We just celebrated the birth of Christ. And how did Mary hear the message about what was going to happen? An angel came and spoke to her. Mary, you will bear a son and he will save the world from their sins. And Jesus first uh, announced 
this salvation. Those who saw Jesus confirmed that this was in fact true. Signs and wonders and miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit all point to Jesus, the Messiah. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord Jesus, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You see, hearing is important, that that we hear the word of God, that is important, but hearing isn't enough. We have to listen to it. We have to obey it. We have to heed it. God is a speaking God, and when he speaks, we need to listen. An E.F. Hutton commercial just came to the mind of all you in the older generations and in the last days it says he spoke to us by his son don't drift don't drift look we hear a lot of messages every day don't we messages on the radio messages in commercials we hear messages from politicians we hear messages from preachers we we hear messages from entertainment so many voices out in that world seeking to send us messages in fact we're we're we love social media because now we can now give we can we can force our messages on other people we can send our messages out there that we want people to hear and there, there's constant noise so we have to filter some stuff out I love watching television these days because I record them. I don't ever, does anybody watch TV live anymore? I mean, a a football game, but uh, you know, even then, it's like I can pause it. Uh, It despises me to watch commercials on on television. Um, I, I love to fast forward to them, but even some of these networks have figured out that they can not allow you to and they give this little message at the beginning of the show that says, you will not be allowed to fast forward to commercials. I mean, that's what it's saying. I'm like, oh, really? I mean, that drives me nuts. We have to filter stuff all the time. Years and years ago, and I know some of you younger kids will, will not even believe me, but there were three, there were basically three stations on television. Four, if you could get public television. You know, we had one of those dials that turned the antenna because it had to be pointing in the right direction to get that station. Um, it, It was three major news networks. And if you were watching a show and during that show that you were watching, there was some message that came up that says, we interrupt this regularly scheduled program, right? We don't get that anymore. That doesn't normally happen. Um, because of the 24-hour news shows. But, but what they would do is, if, if that happened, you knew something big happened in, in the nation. A president was assassinated, possibly. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. There were um, many other, uh, you know, a, a city was bombed or, or whatever. It was, it was huge news, super important. And, and they would break into that that regularly scheduled show. But you see, God didn't break into our news programs. God didn't send out a a robocall. No, he spoke in his son. 
He sent, he came himself. He came himself. This isn't just a bit of news that we need to know. It is the news. It is the news of eternal significance. There is no escape if we neglect such a salvation, the preacher says. There is no escape. If we neglect it, every one of us in hearing this word today will be held accountable to what we hear and whether we actually listen to it or not. And then the preacher continues to emphasize what he said in chapter 1, that Jesus is superior to the angels. Angels are to be honored. Angels are to be heard. But Jesus' message is different than those messages. Jesus, God in human flesh, brings the message. Look at verse 3 there of chapter 2. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. There were a lot of people who heard Jesus. There were a lot of people who lived and breathed the same oxygen in the same area that Jesus did. They testified to the reality of his life, to the, to the reality of his death, and to the reality of his living again. If there had been video cameras, we would have had video evidence. Now, we heard this from Jesus himself. He, he did not only do what needed done, but he declared what was going to happen before it did. Further proof that that Jesus was God. Look at verse 4. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Signs and wonders. Sometimes I think we, we can get the wrong idea when it comes to, to miracles. We, we don't understand them correctly. We, we think that it, it has to do with the miracle itself. We can get fixated on what it was that happened. Now, we don't question the power of God to do such things, but we see miracles as isolated examples of how God intervenes into human lives or in nature. But what is often missed is that miracles never point to themselves. They always point to Jesus. They always do. Even as we see miracles around our lives, they are not to... Uh, miracles are not performed or done in order to increase our excitement. Mir miracles are, are not there for some kind of spiritual demonstration. No, they should not become a focus unto themselves, but they are a means by which God confirms and bears, bears witness to the truth of Jesus and the truth of his power. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are to do the same thing. They're not for us. Do you have a spiritual gift? Wonderful. What is that for? It's for the building up of the body. It is for others. It is given to us for others. They don't simply exist in and for themselves. They exist as a sign that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he has given you, through the Holy Spirit, that gift. So first the prophets proclaimed God's action. Then the angels' creation did the same thing. Signs, wonders, miracles proclaimed this salvation through, through Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit and those gifts that he assigns also point to Jesus, the greater one, the superior one, the one. Look at Hebrews 2.5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. Think about that statement right there. The, the, the preacher 
the writer of Hebrews jumps from right where he is all the way back to creation in that one verse. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. Who did God give dominion over his creation? Who? Man. He gave mankind dominion over creation. It was Adam, wasn't it? Adam was to care for and have power over the birds and the animals, not angels, humans. God said that to Adam. And then in verse 6, it says, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? Interesting statement, isn't it? It has been testified somewhere. Somewhere it says, but one has testified somewhere, another translation says. That someone, can anybody tell me who that someone was? It was David. It was David, because in that next few verses, uh, the The preacher goes back to Psalm 8 and quotes Psalm 8. What is mankind, David wrote, that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. This psalm ultimately, and I want you to write that on your things to do this week, is to meditate on Psalm 8. Read Psalm 8. Pray through Psalm 8. Because Psalm 8 is talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about Jesus Christ who for a time was one of us, fully man, yet fully God. This points to the unique dignity of Adam and every man and woman to come after him. Dominion of the earth was given to them. They were to rule over everything. And and as we look backwards from the New Testament age to the Psalms, the Old Testament gains so much clarity as we look back to it from Jesus. Now we know. Now we have all of this information and we can look back. The Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And now we come to understand that Psalm 8 is in fact pointing to Jesus. But Adam forfeited his authority that was given to him over the earth, didn't he? In fact, from Genesis 1 to Genesis 3, Adam went from subject the earth to yourself to now the earth is going to fight you as you try to get fruit from it. By the sweat of your brow and the opposition of weeds, you will till the soil and struggle. This was the first Adam. We read about the first Adam multiple times in the New Testament. The preacher is honest and says that as we look at the world right now, it, it just doesn't seem like it's under anybody's control. It for sure isn't under our control. It, it doesn't even seem like it's subjected to Jesus Christ, but that's because we aren't looking at it correctly. We are here because of Jesus Christ. The second Adam Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus was able to redeem humanity because of his own humanity. Emmanuel, God with us, the redeemer of humanity. There's four truths that come from Jesus' humanity. The first one is this. Jesus' humanity enabled him to regain man's lost dominion. We lost it. 
Verse 5, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him. You made them man, mankind, a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Them, them, them. That's humans. That's us. God made us just a step below angels, but he gave us significant dignity and glory and honor. And and we see that. We have privileges far higher than the angels. Angels weren't promised they could reign in the world to come, but we were. Angels... Uh, David marveled that God would share his power and glory with feeble humanity. But there's a problem here, isn't there? It is obvious that we are not exercising dominion over creation right now. In fact, we have a hard time controlling ourselves, let alone creation. We have a hard time controlling ourselves let alone birds and reptiles and fish. But Jesus has regained that dominion. As a man, he walked on water. As a man, he controlled the weather. As a man, he created food out of nothing. As a man, he healed diseases. He controlled birds and fish. And it says that while he was in the wilderness, he was with wild beasts, just hanging out with them, probably you know, petting them and snuggling with them. I don't know what he would have done with them, but it says that. And Jesus, as the last Adam, verse 45 of 1 Corinthians 15, so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. God spoke life. God breathed life into the first Adam. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Jesus regained our lost dominion, and today everything is under his feet. Everything. Everything. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through, in, in verses 20 through 23, Paul is talking about God's great power, and that power, he says, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and, th- and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We lost it because of our sin. We became slaves to it, but because of Jesus' humanity, he regained that control. He regained that authority, and one day when Jesus establishes his kingdom, we will reign with him in glory and honor as human beings. The second reason his, important, his, his humanity was important. His humanity enabled him to bring many sons and daughters to glory. Verse 9, but, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, proves his humanity, now, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, 
so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. Jesus is talking about God the Father. I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Jesus is not only the last Adam, he is also the pioneer of salvation. Now, some, trans- some of you might have the word captain in your translation. Captain or pioneer, the word itself literally means one who opens the way for others to follow. Living in this valley, we should be very familiar with pioneers. It, 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 as I read that, it brings my mind or my thought to when I, I stand under the, the, the great gateway to the west, the arch in St. Louis. How many pioneers passed through that way, making the way for others to follow as they headed west. Jesus opened the way for us to follow. Jesus gave up his glory to become a man, and then he regained his glory when he resurrected from the dead and ascended to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And now he shares that glory with those who trust him for salvation. Jesus shares that glory with us, his sons and daughters. If the incarnation didn't happen, if Jesus didn't come to earth and become a man, he could not take us from earth to share in his glory. The incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, they all go together. They all lead to glory. Jesus, as our pioneer, was made perfect through his suffering. Now, that made perfect doesn't mean that he was sinful and he had to be made perfect like we do. No, that word perfect there means that that it was complete or effective or adequate. So Jesus... As our pioneer, that sacrifice was adequate. It was made adequate on our behalf. It was effective. Jesus was our perfect savior and high priest because he became a man and suffered and died. Thank you, Jesus, right? Jesus' humanity regained our lost dominion over the earth. Jesus' humanity returned glory to us. His sons and daughters. And number three, his humanity enabled him to disarm Satan and deliver us from death. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. 
God has the final authority when it comes to death. And he exerted that in Jesus. In Revelation 1.18, Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. But Satan does have some power. God has given him some power when it comes to death as far as he permits it. I've had several people invoke the book of Job this week. Um, Three times in the last three days I've had somebody mention the book of Job. I don't know. It's kind of sitting in the back of my mind thinking maybe the next book that we study on Sunday mornings could be the book of Job. I don't know. But in the book of Job, we see where God has this conversation with Satan. And, he, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like what? I mean, I didn't think that sin could be you know, in the presence of God, yet God's here having this conversation with, with the, the angel of light. Um, Satan, his creation. And, and you know, most of us know how that story goes, right? I mean... Satan's like, well, Job only, Job's only faithful to you because of what you give him. And God's like, oh, think so? Well, you know, you're free to take everything away from him. I'm just really not liking that. I don't want that conversation happening about me. Right? I mean, great for Job, good lessons, good lesson for us. But I think we should all understand when we, when we enter into the kingdom of God, when we, when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, that certainly is a possibility that God would say, you know what? What about my servant David? You know what? Go ahead. See what he does. I mean, that's what... So, so God does give him some, some authority, some, some power. Um, Satan, at the very least, Satan, of course, is the author of sin. And sin brings death. So in that sense, he exercises power in the realm of death. Jesus, in fact, in, in John chapter 8, verse 44, called Satan a murderer. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know how you can tell when Satan is lying? His lips are moving. In the Garden of Eden, he was lying. And he was so good at his deceit. And it's the same way for us every day. He is good at what he does. He uses all sorts of tools to to get us to question and doubt God's love for us and his faithfulness to us and his, his honesty and his love and his his care and his forgiveness. Satan uses the fear of death as a weapon to gain control over the lives of people. His rule, he rules darkness and death, but we who trust in Jesus Christ have once and for all been delivered from that authority. So anytime we, we anytime Satan has authority over us in the sense of fear and, and death, it's because we give it to him. He doesn't have that power anymore. Jesus broke that power. Jesus took care of that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 50. Man, you didn't know you were going to get Christmas, Easter, and today's message in the same message. Where, O death, is your sting? 
Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Hold to the truth. Hold to what you know, what you have been taught. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What amazing news. We were once lost, but we are now found and delivered from death. When when you're discouraged and can't seem to find the hope, that verse is right there. Read it. Remind yourself, there's no victory here. Satan, you you have no victory here. My Savior has that victory. Where is the sting of death? The power of sin, it's gone for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God, for he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So stand firm. Don't let anything move you. Keep on keeping on because of Jesus. The, The old has gone and the new has come. Through his humanity, Jesus disarmed Satan, and he delivered us from death. And the fourth reason Jesus' humanity was important is that his humanity enables him to be a sympathetic high priest to his people. See, we, as human beings, we, man, we're always concerned that the person that's talking to us or that's giving us advice or whatever kind of has a good sense of, of what's really happening inside of us. It's, it's why you should never say to someone who lost someone to death, I, I know how you feel. Because we don't. You, now, you may have experienced that before. You may have experienced the death of a loved one before. And you may have a common sense of, of the feelings that person is experiencing. But you have no idea what that person in this moment is feeling. We just can't say that. But Jesus can You know, a couple years ago when things shut down and, or, or, you know, the administration, like, for instance, shut the Keystone Pipeline down and, and uh, you, you, you heard people who, you, you heard people who weren't hurting say things like, well, just get another job. You know, it's not that big a deal. It'll be over soon. You, you heard Hollywood stars in their mansions basically speaking down to people saying, well, just suck it up. Wait, have you ever sucked it up a day in your life? I mean, that's what, that's what we think. And, and I, you know, we can go through, even Jesus confronted the, the Pharisees on occasion and said, look, you are heaping weight on the shoulders of these people by the things that you're saying. And you're not even doing what you're telling them they should do. That's not Jesus. That is not Jesus, verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully man in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus was human in every way. He got hungry, he got thirsty, he got tired. He was homeless. He, wasn't, he was rejected in his own hometown. Jesus experienced it all as a human being. Jesus was tempted in every way that, that we 
could be or have been tempted. That's incredible about our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is one who has the authority. He has the power. He's God. He is sovereign. He he created the universe. Yet, as we sit here today as human beings, he knows exactly and can relate exactly to everything that you're experiencing in your life. All of it. He was fully human in every way. He experienced anguish, anxiety, homelessness. He was tempted. He, he suffered just like we do. He was fully human. So if you're struggling in your life, do you know what you need to do? You need to turn to Jesus. First step, Jesus, I'm, you need to sit at his feet and you need to cry out to him. Because he understands. He knows exactly what you're going through. And and the best part about this truth is that he doesn't only know what you're going through, but those things that can kill you spiritually, he paid the price for that. He took care of it. That's what atonement means. He, he paid what had to be done to atone for our sin. He is our advocate before God. I can imagine Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I, I'm just shooting from the hip here. Okay. Sometimes that's a dangerous thing. Somebody dies, let's say my dad, when he died and he, he's standing before God the Father and, and the Son. And, you know, God says, so let's, let's, let's look at things. How did you live your life on earth? And, and I, I, you know, I think my dad lived a great life, but there, is a whole, there, there was a whole list of things. Bad attitudes, I'm sure. Um, that one time dad got mad. Um, But you know what Jesus said to the Father? Dad, yeah, he may have done all of those things. Because of his profession and his belief in me as his Savior and what I did on the cross, my blood has covered all of those things. And he has been forgiven. And he is with God the Father today. And that is true and can be true of every one of us. Every one of us. 1 John 2, 1 through 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's the point. That's one of the things that we need to do in our life is to live our life and not sin. But you know what? We're human beings and we do. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Have you taken up that faith? Have you responded the call of of God on your life to be a Christ follower, to surrender your life to Him? Because if you have not 
then we need to go back to the very front here to where he says, how shall we escape this punishment if we ignore so great a salvation? This is a great salvation. And my friends, we ought to make a decision. And if you haven't, you're rolling the dice that you're going to be breathing tomorrow or the day that, that you can make that decision. We are saved because of Jesus. We can get through each day in our life because of Jesus. We can have hope for tomorrow because of Jesus. No matter what those circumstances are today, you can have hope tomorrow because of Jesus. Jesus came as a man. That didn't make him less God. but it enabled him to save us. Jesus' humanity regained our lost dominion over the earth. It returned our glory to us, his sons and daughters. It disarmed Satan and delivered us from death. And finally, he is our sympathetic high priest. We can go to him. Look, praise God, we don't have to go to a priest. Jesus is our priest. And oh, what a fountain of blessings Jesus is. As the worship team comes up here, I, I want to share one final illustration. We're going to sing a hymn right now called The Fount of Every Blessing. And uh, as we sing this, I want us to think about this. Uh, the, the composer of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Robert Robinson, was converted under the mighty preaching of George Whitefield. But later in life, after he had written this hymn, he drifted from the Lord. He, he had been greatly used as a pastor, but neglect of spiritual things led him astray. And in attempt to find peace, he began to travel. He was looking for peace in all of the wrong places. And during one of his journeys, he met a young woman who was evidently very spiritually minded. And she said to him, she handed him this book and she said, what do you think about this hymn that I've been reading? It was his. It was the hymn that he had written. Come thou fount. He tried to avoid her question, but it was hopeless for the Lord was speaking to him. And finally he broke down and he confessed who he was. And how he had been living away from the Lord. But the woman assured him, but these streams of mercy are still flowing. They're still flowing today. And because of her encouragement, Robinson was restored to fellowship with the Lord. You see, it's easy to drift with the current. And it's difficult to stop and turn around and fight back against that current. But... Our salvation is a great salvation purchased at a great price. And it brings with it great promises and blessings. And if you're in that place where you're like, I've just been terrible. That grace is still flowing. Jesus' blood is still covering you. Surrender and turn back to him because it leads to a great inheritance and glory. Let's sing these last two songs.